Amen, amen. Glad you're here. Please be seated. Uh, we have a, a treat this morning. Tyler St. Clair is here from Detroit. This is part of the whole uh, the, the thing I've talked to you about all the way through the summer, really just trying to present to you this picture, this demonstration that the gospel isn't just ours, right? That there are gospel works happening all around us, many of them in our city. Uh, and, and so I met Tyler. Uh, he was, we were actually talking about this last night. The first time he remembers us meeting was at a Plant Midwest conference. It's a, 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 a loosely affiliated organization of church planters, mm -hmm. and, and uh, they had a, a group in Detroit. We had a group here. We have a group here in uh, the Springfield area, and then uh, there's several others around the Midwest. Well, so he remembers that. I remember sitting across from him and his wife during assessments for the Acts 9. <laughs> I don't know which one was really first. Uh, we didn't get into an argument over anything. That's not I'm working. right. Yeah, he, you're probably, so they know I'm calendar challenged. I, it's just not my thing, so you probably are. But uh, I've been able to watch as, as over the last couple of years, it was two years ago that they walked through the assessment. He and his wife were there and, and just answering questions, like opening up their life in ways to allow people to look in and see and seek to discern their call to start a church, to plant a church that's going to plant churches. And so... Um, I've uh, been able to just watch as that has unfolded. There came the day that we were able to incur to fully affirm. So there's this moment where the, it's, they don't really do this, but it feels like you're getting knighted. Like you, <laughs> you, you might as well show up and they put a sword on. We dubbed the church planter Tyler, you know, and, and so uh, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, and then yeah. just to watch their ministry, I've showed a couple of videos to you guys through Realm uh, just to see what they're doing, Quarterstone Church in Detroit. Uh, and, and where this partnership goes, uh, it's still to see. But I, I long for him to be in front of you. I, I know that the Lord is going to use him today just to speak truth into your lives. And so I'm excited you're here to hear from him. So, thank you, brother. Um, I'm going to do two things that I, one thing that I love and one thing that I hate. I love to preach God's word and I hate to talk about myself. So I'm going to get to talk about myself out of the way first. Um, again, my name is Tyler St. Clair, um, lead, lead church uh, planter, lead pastor of Cornerstone Church in Detroit, um, a few years ago, um, well, well, me and my wife first started to dream about this in, oh my goodness, I'm getting up there, 2002. Um, so we've been doing gospel ministry in Detroit. Not the nice part, not the gentrifying part, not the part where, where the coffee shops and the stadiums are. Um, I showed Seth and Pastor Lane around. We're in the hood. Um, so what would it look like if we planted a gospel-centered, disciple-making, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in one of the most divided areas in the entire country? Um, and everyone thought we was crazy, and, and there's some truth to that, me being crazy. But um, God, by his amazing grace, um, we've seen people come to Christ. We've seen the gospel light bulbs come on in people's eyes. Uh, we've seen families restored. We've just, we've just seen God move and do amazing things just in little under two years. We celebrate our second birthday uh, in October. Uh, so, yeah, God is just at work in Detroit. There's so, I, I sent, uh, sent Seth a, um, a something that, that I saw from USA Today, the 10 worst cities, and congratulations, you guys were like number eight. Um, but Detroit is always number one in any of the worst things of things. Detroit is usually always in the top three. Flint's in there as well. 
Um, but it's amazing to be a part of a church and to see God move in a city with so much brokenness. And, and there is hope. There's hope in Detroit and there's hope here uh, in Springfield as well. So I'm glad to be here. Um, that's out of the way. Um, if you have any other questions about Detroit church planning, um, why am I bald? Although we, we can talk about all that. We can talk about that after. Um, but I, I'm going to hang around. I love to talk uh, more about, tell you a little bit more about us. Uh, my wife, we're, we're married. We have five kids. Uh, she's the real MVP. Um, I don't know how she A, lives with me and my children and still loves Jesus. Um, I'm surprised we haven't got that poor woman committed. But uh, my wife is the real MVP. She is the backbone. So, uh, so yeah, that's enough about the St. Clair. So let's jump into God's Word. I'm going to be, uh, I, I'm gonna, um, be in Psalm 42, so you can flip there, turn there, open it up on your tablet. Um, so, so I have a lot of character quirks, um, some good, some bad. But, 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 but my, I think my biggest character quirk is I have a really big mouth. So it, it like comes here, and it, there's not a lot of filtering it's like mind, boom, and then I'm like, it's, it, sometimes there's apologies afterwards, but, but uh, it, it's usually just mind, bang, mouth. Uh, so when I became, I became a Christian at 19, I was, uh, I ran the streets, you know, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, Statue of Limitations has passed, but I ran the streets and I did a lot of bad stuff with bad people, but I got like radical, I wasn't seeking Jesus, didn't, didn't care about God. First thing I did, when I turned 18, I went and got a tattoo, went and got high and said, I'm done with church, I'm done with God. Um, but Jesus and the gospel just hit me uh, between the eyes. So I got radically saved at 19. And then I noticed something, that how I operated, the church wasn't like that. So th- there were certain um, sacred cows and, and, and uh, elephants in the room that church people don't talk about. One of the things that I've noticed that, that many church people and many churches avoid is what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones labeled as spiritual depression. He wrote a whole book on uh, Psalm 42 called Spiritual Depression. So, so, so often followers of Jesus Christ suffer in silence because they don't know how the gospel speaks to their grief speaks to their moaning, uh, mourning and speaks to times of sadness and sorrow. Uh, furthermore, and, and tragically, Christians often uh, view other Christians as spiritually deficient or lacking in their faith when they uh, display emotional shortcomings, depression, or reveal any vulnerability. But feelings of uh, uh, despondency or melancholy or, or being dejected or sadness, hopelessness, uh, sorrow, grief, gloom, all of these things are part of the human experience. One of the main categories uh, in, the, the, in, in, the, in the whole Psalter is psalms of lament. There are many psalms of lament. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet and wrote a whole book called Lamentations. This is a part of the human experience. We, 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 we have um, uh, mountain highs like Psalm 150, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and everything that will praise and praise the Lord. And we also have valley lows. Today I want to talk about how we can suffer well by trusting a sovereign Savior in our darkest moments. We, we can suffer well. We can endure sorrow. We can endure pain, trusting in our sovereign Savior in life's darkest moments. Did you know the gospel speaks to our grief? 
Did, did you know you can praise in the midst of pain? Did, did you know you can be thankful in the midst of trouble? Did you know that you can have hope even in the midst of hardship? Psalm 42. So I, I'm going to kind of bounce all around and it's going to make sense at the end. But, but I see three, in Psalm 42, I see three causes, three causes for this, this, this soul of sorrow or this spiritual depression or this uh, low spirit. Cause number one, not feeling God's presence or seeing him move. Cause number one, not feeling God's presence or seeing him move. Psalm 42 verses 1, 2, and 3. As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when, when shall my soul come and appear before God? Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 9, Psalm 42, verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? See, verse 1 is, is, is one of those coffee mug verses. Have you been in a Christian store and seen a little deer lapping on water and it says, as the deer pant for water? You never seen that? I've seen it a zillion times. Uh, but but the, the true context of, of, of Psalm uh, 42, verse 1, as the deer pants for water, is, is, is a, a context of, 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 of the psalmist is filled with anguish and drowning in despair. He's saying, I'm longing, I'm thirsting. Where are you, God? I don't see you. It says, my tears have been my food day and night. The psalmist is weeping and desperately longing to hear from God, who seems to be AWOL. He's crying out to God and don't, doesn't fear him, feel him near. He, 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 the, see, the psalmist, I, 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 can, I can get with this brother. I, I, I've had moments and I've had seasons in my life where, where it felt like God was playing hide and seek. God was playing Marco Polo. I was searching and I was grasping for him and I didn't see him. I didn't feel him near. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been fake? This is a believer. This isn't a non-believer. This is one of the worship leaders of Israel. And he's saying, God, I don't see you. Where are you? I'm enduring this. I'm wrestling and I'm struggling and I don't hear you and I don't feel you near. Have you ever felt that? Or is that just me? You can talk back. (laughs) I've had seasons, I've had moments in my life where I just prayed, God, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't see you. Verse 9, he cries out, why have you forgotten about me? In his deepest despair, in his greatest grief, the psalmist says he feels like God has left him high and dry. Instead of the presence of God, instead of the the presence of the God that he's longing for, the enemy is in close proximity. Have you ever seen the enemy more vividly than you've seen God? You've seen the work, you've seen the attack, you felt the oppression of the enemy, and you're grasping for God for help, and you, you, you can't feel him near. You don't see him near. Psalm 44, uh, verse 23 through 26. Psalm 44, verse 23 through 26. Uh, the psalmist says, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? 
Why do you hide your face? Why have you forgotten about my affliction and my oppression? For my soul is bowed down to the dust. My belly clings to the ground. Rise up and come help. Have you ever felt that God was not near? We know that he's, uh, that he's omnipresent. We know that he's everywhere all at the same time. But have you ever felt that he wasn't there? Have you ever felt like following God was, was like chasing the wind? So the first reason for this, this downcast soul is not feeling, not seeing God move in the midst of trouble. Secondly, listening to the wrong voices, listening to the wrong voices. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse 10, as with a deadly wound to my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is is your God. One of the quickest ways to become uh, 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 dis- disenchanted, discouraged, dejected, despondent, depressed is by listening to the wrong voices. Listening to the wrong voices. Notice this. While, while they say, where is your God? I, 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 li- I love verse 3 in the Message Bible. All day long, people knock on my door pestering me. Where is this God of yours? We live in a culture that asks that question, don't we? Where is your God? Where is this God of yours? Why why are innocent people dying? Why are babies dying? Why is all of this happening? Why so much death? Why so much destruction? Where is this God you believe in? They say. Often the enemy uses people as pawns to attack our faith, question our commitment to Christ, cast doubt, incite fear, produce sorrow, and plant seeds of discouragement. They say. I remember I used to get teased. You may not believe this, but I was actually skinny as a child. I know. But I was ri- skinny as a rail. But, but I used to always get made fun of and picked on, and I would go tell my grandmother. My grandmother was from Mississippi. She would say, who was they? Who cares what they say? But there's always a they. There's always a they in our lives. Listening to the wrong voice is so deadly that it caused the fall of humanity. Remember the garden? Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day in perfect, harmonious relationship with God Almighty. And then they live what? They listen to the wrong voice. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field uh, and the Lord, that the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Listening to the wrong voice. L- listening to the wrong voice. Some of our doubt and depression and discouragement may, because, may be because we are listening to the hiss of the serpent and not the father of truth. Listen to John 8, verse 44. Jesus is speaking of Satan. Jesus is speaking of the devil. When he lies, he speaks from his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Are you listening to the hiss of the serpent or the father of truth? 
Every day we are just bombarded with messages after messages. Here's, here's a quick point of application. We have to learn to drown out the noise. We have to learn to drown out the noise. Again, uh, uh, studies show that the average adult, the average uh, uh, adult in America receives 49 to 85 notifications on their phone a day. I'm probably about 125. The average American receives 49 to 85 notifications on their phone a day. We are constantly getting information. We are constantly hearing uh, words. We are constantly hearing information and messaging. And many, most of it, and often a lot of it, is from the father of lies. We have to learn to drown out the noise. Like the psalmist, I believe much of our pain and much of our frustration is because of what they say. What they say on the news. What they are saying on social media. What they are saying that is not rooted in the truth of the gospel. Are you drowning out the lies of this world with the truth of God's word? Or are you allowing the lies of the enemy to affect your soul? We're able to drown out the lies and the contrary messages of Satan by saturating our hearts and mind in God's word. Jesus, and Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights and then Satan came and tempted him. He says, if you're really the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Matthew 4, verse uh, 4, 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We are sustained spiritually by God's word. And many of us are malnourished because we are feeding on the lies of Satan, feeding on the lies of this world, feeding on the lies on social media and not God's word. Man shall live not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus Christ himself is the epitome of truth and the very word incarnate. Jesus is truth. Jesus is the word of God. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one should come to the father except through me. John 14, verse 6. Every day we have the choice. We either live in light of God's truth, the gospel, Jesus himself, the word of God, or we live in light of the lies of the serpent. So one, uh, uh, the, the first reason the psalmist, uh, we, we see that, uh, uh, that, that his soul is low, that the spiritual depression and sorrow is because he doesn't feel God. Secondly, it's the voice of the enemy. Third, he's just overwhelmed. Read verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Let, me. let me read it in another translation. It says, trouble has come again and again, sounding like waterfalls. Your waves are crashing all over me. The psalmist is simply saying he's overwhelmed. He's just overwhelmed. He, he feels like his soul is shipwrecked in the midst of this ordeal. So often we sink and our souls sink into sorrow and we're crushed because life is just simply overwhelming at times. I was having a conversation with 
uh, my 13-year-old. So I have everything in my house. I have a 13-year-old that's almost 14. In her mind, she's 26, and then sometimes she's 6, and I have a 2-year-old. So I have everything all, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun time, good times. I was having a conversation with my 13-year-old, and she said, I can't wait till I be an adult. I said, I'll trade you. You be an adult. I'll be 13. We can trade. I don't know how it will really work in real life, but if you want to, I'll trade you because as an adult, life does not stop. Life is overwhelming at times. Uh, we, we deal with sudden loss and medical setbacks and broken relationships and financial hardships and the, the attacks of the enemy and relational strife, mar- marital conflict, issues with our kids. We deal with all of that at the same time, and we still have to keep on with life. There's no pause button. He says, your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I'm overwhelmed. I'm drowning. There's just too much going on all at the same time. Sometimes we face the overwhelming flood of trials and troubles and tribulations all at the same time. There's just seasons of life where life is just overwhelming, drowning, overwhelmed with the waves of life beating against us. So what is the cure to this? What is the the, the cure when I feel spiritually uh, depressed, when my soul is low, when uh, uh, when, when I'm praising, when my hands are lifted up, but my soul is really low? What is the cure? What, what, What do I do when my soul is swimming in the trials of life? What do I do when I'm calling out to God and it feels like he is distant? Verse 5 gives us the answer. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation. So, So the difference between a decent song and a really good song is the hook. That's what musicians tell me. The hook is so good that he repeats it in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation. The first thing he does is he he acknowledges his need. He, He acknowledges that Houston, there is a problem. He poses this introspective, reflective question to himself. Why are you cast down? Why are you within turmoil? Why is there inner turmoil going on? He acknowledges that he's in a bad place. He doesn't blame other people. He doesn't blame his circumstances. He doesn't blame the devil. He doesn't act oblivious and ignore that the house is burning down. He says, why are you cast down? Why do I have turmoil within me? He acknowledges that he has a problem. If you are, are, are constantly impatient and frustrated and agitated with everyone around you, there's something, there's something going on on the inside. Soul, why are you so angry? It's not everything else. It's not everybody else. There's something going on on the inside. If you are constantly gripped with fear and crippled by anxiety, there's something on the inside going on. Soul, what are you afraid of? Where's your soul today? Just between you and God, 
Where is your soul? Is your soul at peace? I know you love Jesus. I know you're a Christian. All your sins were nailed to the cross. But, but, But is your soul at peace today? Are you cast down? Are you angry or frustrated with God? Are you crippled with fear? Where, where is your soul today? First thing he does, he, he acknowledges that there's something going on with me. He doesn't blame the enemies. He, he doesn't blame the circumstances. He doesn't blame God. He says, there, there's something going on inside of me. Secondly, he acknowledges where his hope comes from. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation. I, I love this word hope. The, the, the Hebrew word here for hope is yakil. It means to wait with confidence, expectancy, and assurance. Let me repeat that. It means to wait with confidence, expectancy, and assurance. It doesn't just mean to wait. That, that, that you are waiting, but, but you know that, that with expectancy, with confidence, with assurance, your hope is in God. The main remedy for a downcast soul, the main remedy when our soul is in turmoil is to remember our hope is in the Lord. Notice this. Not one time in this psalm does he pray for the circumstance to change. Usually we think that if the circumstances change, I'm changed. No, no, no. He acknowledges that there's something going on within me, and then he acknowledges that his hope is in God. It's not all in the circumstances of life changing. He never prays for deliverance. He never prays about his enemies. He never prays for his enemies to go away. His hope is in God, and he realizes that, 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 that my hope and my confidence and my assurance is in him, and I will praise him. Why? Because he is my salvation. Hope remembers three things. Hope remembers God's faithfulness in the past. It remembers his promises in the future, and it remembers his steadfast love. First, he, he remembers the Lord's faithfulness and experiencing God's goodness in the past. Psalm 42, verse 4. Verse, verse 4 and then verse 6. These things I remember how I would go with the throng and I would lead them into pro- in, the, in the progression in the house of the Lord with glad shouts and songs of praise. I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. We can have hope in the present, in our present pain, in our present suffering, in our present season of hardship. We can have hope now because God has been faithful in the past. We can have hope today because God has been faithful in the past. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 3, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me will bless his name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are the benefits? He forgives all of your iniquities. He heals all of your diseases. He redeemed your life from the pit. He crowned you with his steadfast love and mercy. Again, we can have hope today, even though it's difficult, even though the situation may not change. We can have hope today because God has always been faithful in the past. 
the psalmist says we can bless, we can praise God because all of the benefits, his forgiveness, his redemption, his mercy, his steadfast love through the death of Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. Through the death of Jesus Christ, redemption is possible. Through the resurrection of Christ, the Father extended love, mercy, and grace to the undeserving and sinful. Forget not his benefits. Again, we can have hope and patiently wait with confidence because the Lord has shown himself faithful in the past time and time again. When, when, when our souls are, are gripped with grief, we can remember the glorious grace that he's shown us in the past. When we are sinking in sorrow, we can recall his salvation in the past. We can have hope today because he's been faithful in the past. And he's proven himself good. He's proven himself faithful time and time again. My, my faith has grown in, in leaps and bounds in the process of planting this church because there were times we literally did not know where any money was coming from. I was telling Seth last night, and, and fundraising, I, I would just tell my wife, I, I don't know, but God has been faithful. God has been faithful. God has provided for my family. God has provided for our church time and time again. We can have hope because he's been faithful in the past. Secondly, we can have hope because of his promises for the future. See, the Lord is not a father like me. See, I'll tell my kids, see, listen, okay, let me take a nap. I'm tired. Let me take a nap. And then at 3 o'clock, I'm going to wake up. 3.30, they're shaking me like, like, ah, we're going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> See, the Lord keeps his word. He, he, he's not a father that breaks his promises. Psalm 89, verse 34, the Lord says, I will not violate my covenant or alter the words that have went from my mouth. The Lord will, will fulfill every promise. He will keep his covenant. See, the, the, this is one of the most amazing things about God that I cannot wrap my mind around. He is faithful despite our unfaithfulness. He keeps his covenant despite us breaking it time and time again. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our sorrow, we can have hope because of all of the promises of God. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, I'm leaving my peace with you. Philippians 4, 7, uh, Paul promises that if we pray that, that we'll have this peace that passes all understanding. John 15, verse 11, Jesus promises that our joy will be complete in him. In the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, we can have peace and we can have joy. Why? Because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Despite the hardship, despite the pain, he promises us joy and peace if we find our contentment in him. I love 1 John 3, verse 2, beloved we are the children of God now, not, not children of God when we, uh, uh, when we get to a certain point in our sanctification or children of God when we uh, break all our bad habits. We are the children of God now, and what we will become has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And we shall see him as he is. I love this, that, that Jesus promises when he returns, I'll shed this body of flesh. No more lust, no more pride, no more anger, no more coveting. I'll shed this body of flesh. When I see him, I'll be just like him. I'll be glorified. That's a promise. 
Sin will be done away with when we see Jesus. That is a promise. I love that. Thirdly, we can have hope because of the steadfast love of God. And I'm pulling in the driveway right now. Verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. No, notice he's still in the trial. <laughs> he, he's still in the fire. He's still in the pain. He's still in the hardship. But he says, the steadfast love of God is with me and I'll sing. His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Steadfast is one of the, my favorite words in the Bible. Steadfast means unfailing, unwavering, unyielding, unstoppable, and unmovable. What is he saying? God's love is unfailing, unwavering, unyielding, unstoppable, and unmovable. Even in our uncertainty, God's love is unfailing. Even in our pain, his love is persistent. Even in our unfaithfulness, his love is unyielding. Lamentations 3, verse 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect display of the steadfast love of God. Despite our unfaithfulness to the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully obeyed, lived sinlessly, and fulfilled the law of God on our behalf. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Despite our rebellion, despite our rejection, de despite us leaving, he's, uh, Isaiah said, all like sheep have gone astray. Despite our rebellion, despite our rejection of the Father, love drove the Lord Jesus Christ. The steadfast love of God drove the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross where he gave up his life to save us. That's steadfast love. Despite our sin, Jesus showed mercy on us by absorbing the Father's wrath, by receiving our punishment. Like the psalmist, I believe that if we recount and we recall and we meditate on the steadfast love of God, we can praise despite our pain. We can worship despite our uncertainty. We can have a song despite the sorrow. And Psalm 42 reminds me of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the, 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 the second member of the Trinity, God himself, the Son of God, left the majesty of heaven condescended down to earth, put on a human body, and lived a life of sorrow and pain. Isaiah 53, verse 3 and 4, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. As one from men, uh, they hid their face, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, the man of grief for our sake. Luke 22, verse uh, 42, Jesus is in anguish. His soul is in great grief, grief that our minds will never be able to comprehend. He realizes that he is about to be temporarily separated from his father. He cried out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus voluntarily lived a life of pain, a life of sorrow, so we would not have to suffer the eternal pain of hell. Jesus Christ experienced ultimate sorrow of soul to prevent our souls from being separated from the Father throughout all eternity. On the cross, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was temporarily rejected and forsaken by the Father so we can be brought into the family of God. That's why we have hope. This is why we have hope, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not our circumstances, not our goodness. Our hope is found in him, our salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, as the psalmist says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock, the rock that is higher than I. Lord, we thank you that, yes, we can praise you on the mountaintop, but we can praise you in the valley low. When life is difficult, when life is crushing us, when relationships are broken, when we are in mourning, when we uh, see the death of a loved one, when we experience hardship, we can still find our hope in you. Why? Because you experienced the ultimate pain, the ultimate hardship, the ultimate sorrow on our behalf. You are our hope. Our hope is only found in you. Father, remind us of that. As we go through a life of of hardship, as we go through a life of suffering, remind us that our souls can be anchored in you, the hope that we have in you. You are all that we have. You are all that we need. Lord, this week, as as we face all the trials of life, as we, we face the lies of the enemy, remind us that you are truth. Remind us that we need to be rooted in the truth of your word. And not the hiss, not the lies of the enemy. Lord, remind us that even when we can't feel you, even though we can't see you, you promise, lo, I'll be with you, even to the end of this age. We thank you for all that we are, all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.